0: Ayer's on the road. Parenting in a modern world. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And hi. Yes, we are back on the road. Just uh, actually a very slippery road this week. We're in Utah today and wow, we have had so much snow. It's hard to get from one place to the next. We are um, up at the Parley Summit and wow. Yeah, there's been so much snow. Where we live, it just keeps going.
1: Keeps on going, and and we love it. I mean, if you're going to have winter, you might as well have real winter. And no, then maybe. you feel so good when you get away from it a little while. And we do have some extensive speaking trips coming up. Where we're going to go to – well, I might as well just say it. We're going to go around the world in April, and uh, it's not only speaking. It's a chance to see some of the kids.
0: Um, well, we just, we had speeches in Dubai and Shanghai, and we just thought, well, as long as we're already going that far, let's just keep on going around around the world. So we're going to start with Hawaii and then do the Dubai and Shanghai, and then we're going to go on to meet some kids in Moscow. This sounds crazy. I well, and, well,
1: one thing for sure is that if you, uh, <laughs> here's my theory on jet lag, since this is a parenting show, we ought to be talking about jet right. lag. <laughs> I, I think as long as you're going west, you're okay. You just make every day seem a little longer, and you sleep well every night because you're really tired, and you never get jet lagged. So, the fun thing is, we're gonna we're gonna visit with um, five of our nine kids on the way around. We'll see. We'll see Noah when we're in the L.A. area. Then we'll see. Um, Shona and his family were in, when we're in Hawaii, then we'll give our speeches in Shanghai and Dubai, and then we'll see Charity when we're in Moscow, because she'll be there.
0: Just happens to visit. be there on a visit.
1: And then we'll see, go to Switzerland and see our son, Talmage, and then going on around, we'll get around to New York and see Eli. And then we'll come on home. So when you can take a trip in about three weeks and give several speeches and see six of your kids and, of course, the bonus of grandchildren at each stop. And, by the way, that's a segment into today's uh, program and today's title, which is Glorious Grandparenting. Now, Linda, why would we we choose a title like that?
0: Because you have to have things that... Uh, start with the same letter. Oh, alliteration. Alliteration, of course. Yeah, but
1: why would we call it glorious? Uh, Why would we refer refer to grandparenting as glorious?
0: No, I'm laughing here because um, (laughs) it really is a lot more glorious than parenting. You grandparents (laughs) have got Mm -hmm. to admit that.
1: It'd be hard to say glorious parenting. I mean, you could say wonderful, challenging, uh, exhausting parenting, but With grandparenting, you can actually say glorious.
0: Yeah, it is so fun. I mean, it's not glorious every day in every way, just like anything else, because somebody's always in trouble. Um, When someone asks us how our families are doing, we say, well, everybody's fine except the one that's in crisis this week.
1: And And so so if there's two in crisis in the same week, then it really gets tough. They don't need to know that. They don't need to know
0: that. <laughs> but it really is so interesting. It's such a different dynamic with grandchildren. And uh, it really is so fun. I woke up this morning, actually, thinking about my grandchildren. And and we were just with some uh, family last week <clears throat> excuse me, on a farm that they're taking care of for six months or a this year. This is our
1: daughter, Sadie, our fourth child, who has lived in Boston for 20 years and been a city girl, and now she's a farmer.
0: And now she's a farmer, and the kids are farmers, and she's homeschooling. And we were just there with them. We talked a little bit about this last week. It's raining in California like crazy. Their mountain is sliding down, and it's hilarious. But yesterday we got a picture of those four kids with two baby goats in their arms. Brand-new baby goats. And it was so fun to see that. And I I thought about that when I woke up this morning thinking, why didn't I take – the time to spend some special time with each one of those kids i did with music we we, i'm a musician by trade and so we talked about music but i didn't take each one separately and just find out how they were feeling i just didn't think
1: about that's the hard thing about grandparenting is is making it not a group thing where you
0: oh let's get all the
1: grandkids together and have a party or a meeting the real rubber meets the road work is when you're one-on-one with a grandkid and you really, really get to know that particular little grandchild, that's when it really gets fun. And, you know, the thing about being a grandparent, I mean, there's so many wonderful things, but one we don't think about very often is how how it broadens out your own experience, how you you sort of live vicariously through a lot of different People, a lot of different children. I mean, here we've got this daughter, we, we this Sadie that we're talking about, has become a farmer. Literally, I mean, you know, all of her Instagrams and, and texts and emails and so on from Boston, where here we are in the museum, and here we are at the concert, and here we are at the university, and here we are downtown at the ice skating rink, and so on. And now the Instagrams and photos and so on we get, or here we are with our new baby goats, and oh, look at this mudslide coming down the hill. We hope it doesn't hit our barn, and oh, a mountain lion killed one of our sheep last night, and we're trying to get all these trees planted, and and uh, pretty soon we're going to have to put in our crops. And it's amazing just uh, by because you, those you love and tend to empathize with, and if you have several children like we do and a lot of grandkids and you're trying to sort of see the world through each of their own eyes, it's like your own reference and frame of reference is vastly expanded.
0: It really is because every <clears throat> every child is different and they, they lend such an amazing kaleidoscope of color to our lives. They really do. We have some that are just so bright um, that it's almost scary. And then others are off the grid, um, you know, (laughs) kind of in their own world. No, no, creative. (laughs) I'm not saying that dance, no, but totally, totally creative. And um, one that comes up with a costume every day that is unbelievable. And you know, some you just that are think, artists oh, we get, the we world.
1: get pictures on, on the internet that are crazy, beautiful,
0: and some that are dealing with some issues that are really hard. And we have a little grandchild that's um, going blind. She has a syndrome called the Bardet-Biedl syndrome, and she's ten, but she—that's part of the deal. She's going um, blind, and they're teaching her braille at school, and so on. And, and she's her night vision isn't good. Her day vision is still. Pretty good, but it, they can tell it's deteriorating. So, so.
1: so the point is you, 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 you vastly multiply your realm of experience as you are a concerned, involved grandparent. And the question a lot of us have to deal with when grandparenting comes along, and I think, by the way, I think this, this show is relevant not only to grandparents, but to parents who are considering and thinking about what their interaction is and what is their kids' interaction with their grandparents. And, you know, it's such a it's such new territory. People explore this in so many ways. Uh, we have so as you might imagine, so many of our acquaintances and friends are are grandparents, some of them just getting started with their first few grandchildren or their first grandchild. And others have been around for a while and have grandkids that are teenagers and growing up and so on. And and the question you have to ask yourself and that a lot of our friends are asking themselves right now is how, what kind of a grandparent do I want to be? Do I want to be a grandparent who is really um, highly involved and proactively involved with my kids? And do I want to really, you know, be up to speed on what each one is doing all the time? Or... Is it time for me to bow out a little bit and just sort of letting my kids take take over the parenting and sort of sit back and laugh as I see them having the same problem with their kids that I had with
0: them? And there's some of all <laughs> it's of revenge. that. revenge. There's some of all of that. <laughs> And, uh, in fact, we had a whiner that just about drove us crazy when a she whiner, was a little girl. person who whined. Whine, yeah, whiny. She was whining <laughs> all about every day. And I remember that my mother offered her $10. Now, this was 30 years, 35 years ago, maybe. And um, she offered her $10 if she'd go a whole week without whining. And I'll tell you what, she did it. And after that, she was so much better because she was aware of how much she was whining about everything. (laughs) And then she got a son who was a whiner, and I I couldn't help but rub my hands together a little bit like, okay, now you know what you created. But the great news is she turned out so fabulous that um, I'm not complaining. Everybody, every child has these little funny quirks, and you have to work through them to figure out how you can help. Sometimes they're big, too. That
1: kind of reminds me of something that happened to us last week. I'll tell it quickly, and then I want to introduce what we really want to talk about in terms of advice or structure on, on this show today. But we were with uh, this little farm family, our new farm family uh, last week. And and I was realizing that I say the word no too often. Kids will say, well, can we do this, can we do that? And I'm like, no, no, no. And then I thought to myself, you know, um, kids get enough no from their parents. I'd like to be a grandparent who never says no. Not that I wanna agree with everything they ask, but I just don't think you have to use the word no. You can always say, well, let's think about that, or have you considered this, or whatever. You can answer questions in other ways than the use of the word no. So I boldly told these kids, there's four of them, I said, anytime you catch me saying no, I owe you a dollar. And I thought, "I'm, I'm aware enough, I can just avoid this. And it became this incredible game. And to make a long story short, they all made quite a bit of money off me during oh, the weekend. Oh my gosh!
0: It got <laughs> to the point of ridiculous. It I'm was. sorry to say, Annie, you got to stop that on the next round because that was all they were thinking about is questions they could Howard. ask that would make grandfather say no. <laughs> but we and had fun. It was fun. They were just. Overjoyed, just with glee, every time they got him to but say here, no.
1: But here's what I wanted to say. I think what we're going to do today, and mail in the second half of the show, is we're going to tell you a little about how we have personally been exploring this new terrain of, of uh, well, not terribly new for us, but this whole marvelous terrain of grandparenting over the last few years. And I'm right in the thick of it right now because I'm trying to finish up a book. The title of the book is Proactive, excuse me, let me start over, the new title, we've been adjusting the title, the title of the book is Being a Proactive Grandfather, and the subtitle is Making a Difference. And the reason I chose that title is because it is a really interesting thing to try to Be proactive as a grandparent, not to just respond, but to actually have a strategy. What do you hope to do for these grandkids and how do you hope to do it? And the reason it's called being a proactive grandparent is that I've decided, at least for me, grandparenting is not so much about about making your grandkids good or changing your grandkids. It's certainly about helping them and loving them and so on, but it's more about the kind of person you are as a grandparent. And so it's important to think of it that way. You're not, you're not being a grandparent by changing your grandkids. You're being a better grandparent by changing yourself. And so I'm working hard on that book. And then Linda within a little while is gonna, well, actually you've started on it, a book on grandmothering. I don't think you've got a title for that yet, but we decided to do them separately because in our view, The idea and the art and the skill and the science of grandfathering is very different than the art of grandmothering.
0: So we hope you'll join us for the second half because we'll be delving into that, mostly the grandfathering, because he's got to finish this book by the end of the week. So um, we will be back in just a minute.
1: Right after this brief break.
0: Ayer's on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer.
1: And we're back for the second half of the show entitled Glorious Grandparenting. Um,
0: Which is really glorious a lot of days. Some days we're a little overwhelmed because we do have 29 of them right now. And uh, it's amazing how quickly they change. They're going through life so fast we kind of seems like we stay the same age sort of, but the kids just go, whoa. And so, um, we actually got a picture yesterday of, our new granddaughter who we hadn't seen since she was a new baby at Christmas time. And now suddenly she looks like a toddler. How did that happen? Well, not quite
1: like a toddler, but but she's unrecognizable.
0: They grow so fast.
1: Aren't you grateful for constant photos and Instagrams and updates of your grandkids so you can see them every day. Although we haven't with this one, she's been so busy that little mom, this is her sixth child and she just hasn't had time to pull out the camera.
0: No, I was sure she's just uh, underwater as we all are when we have a whole bunch of little kids. The oldest is ten. But um, they are so fun to watch as they grow.
1: So I think the the thing you know the thing that I'm working on with grand and here's the here's the deal with grandfathers for just a minute. I mean, it's a whole new ball game for a lot of us because when you think about it, just one generation ago, one or two generations ago, grandfathers were were pretty fortunate if they hadn't a long enough lifespan just to see their grandchildren get born. I mean, if you were, you know, if, if you were dying in your 60s or 70s, you would hopefully see some grandchildren and see them as little children. But we live in an age now, and in, in my generation, in Linda's generation, where you know, the average lifespan has increased so dramatically that a lot of grandparents will live to see their grandchildren not only be born and be little children, but be teenagers and be in their 20s and find their own marriage and start their own families and will live into this remarkable territory of great grandparenting. And so when you think about it in that way, You're going to be a grandparent for maybe 20, 30, even 40 years of your life. That's a long period of time. What do you want to do? What's your strategy? How do you want to tie in? What do you want to do for your grandkids? I mean, these grandkids are our legacies. When it really comes right down to it, the the legacy we will leave on the earth for the vast majority of us is not some bridge that's named after us or, or some building that we build or some landmark of some kind, our legacy will be our grandchildren and how involved can we be? And then of course that leads to the next question of how, how do you tie in your efforts as a grandparent to the efforts of your children who are the parents? I mean, they're the ones in charge of their children and you are kind of a supplement. You're kind of a consultant. You're kind of a, uh, you know, a, a, uh, an appendage, you're, you're an adjunct helper to what they're trying to do with their kids. So I think it's it's really interesting, and I'm approaching this grandfather's book almost like a business book, almost like what's your mission statement, what are your goals, how are you going to go about them? I want it to read in a way that will appeal to grandfathers who who will be able to see it almost like a business plan for how they want to perform as grandfathers. Why don't you talk a little about what you're going to try to do in the grandmothering book. And while you're doing that, Linda, I'm going to pull up the the table of contents for the grandfather book and get a little more specific.
0: Well, for grandmothers, I think it's, it is a little different. And, uh, you know, you have to figure out where you belong as you start your grandmothering experience. You don't want to be overbearing. And I, I'm always kind of a, especially since the kids have all left, I'm a whatever person, (laughs) whatever. I have a rock that says whatever on it. I woke up this morning thinking, you know, um, whatever they want to do. I I have my mind the way I think things should happen. But when we have family reunions, it doesn't go like I think it was going to. And so I just go, whatever. I mean, because everybody wants to do everything in a different way and so on. And so you have that leavening way of saying, you know, whatever you want to do. But there are some times, I think, that you need to spend with grandchildren. I think it's important to send them notes. Now we have email. Um, I always comment on the Instagrams and so on. But sending them little notes occasionally. And Richard's actually taken that to a new level. He sends some handwritten notes, which... I don't know what those little kids can well, read you know, because so, well, it's in cursive. Maybe so, you print no, it's for them. not in
1: cursive. I print for them. No, but it's, it's interesting cursive. that a lot of these kids have never, ever received a real letter. They, they don't even know about real letters and stamps and postage and, and handwriting things. And so what I do is on their, on their unbirthday, on their half birthday, when no one else is thinking about them particularly, I send them a, a handwritten, I write it with a fountain pen. And they like, wow, this is this is unique. They hang on to it much more than they would if it was um, just online. But let let me just uh, let me uh, I just this morning wrote a little sort of a poem, which is going to be the preface of this grandfathering book, and I want to read it to you quickly. It's called "Men of a Certain Age." You might rem- remember that was a title of a TV show. But here's what it says: There's a lot of us guys between 55 and 75 wondering what to do next. Still plenty of energy and more capacity than ever before. We're at the peak of our power. So what? Keep working until we die. Extend the routine. Retire. Find a house on a golf course. Pull back. Dry up. Travel. Leave everyone and everything behind. Start a new career. Start over and take risk. What if we want a little of all these, but we want something more? For most of us, there is another option. For our effort and energy, for our focus and force, it's hidden in plain sight right under our noses. Grandkids, little extensions of ourselves, legacies. Growing up in a world that is harder and more complex than ours was or our kids was. They need us and we need them. There can be symbiosis. We know there is delight there and opportunity, but we don't know how or when or even what. We're not confident as grandfathers, and our role is not clear. That's the reason for this book.
0: So, you know, I love that. It it is so true, and that particular thing is true for grandmothers in in their own way, too. There are – it takes – the same thing it takes as – when you're a parent, you have to think about the direction you're going. You have to think about how you want to be as a grandparent, um, what kind of relationship you want to have with your children. It's a little harder for us. Those those of you who have all your kids on the same cul-de-sac, hooray, that is so awesome. I don't know what we did uh, wrong, but we did... <laughs> Um, we traveled too
1: much we traveled
0: too much and now they like traveling and they're just everywhere we have one that lives near, near enough to come home for dinner and even that's a little bit far so um, it really is important to realize everybody has a different situation, but it is so important to decide where you're going, what direction, how are you going to be, what are you going to do? And I know you've got a lot of thoughts on that, honey.
1: Well, I think, you know, I'm I'm focused a little on the grandfathering thing, and my book is going to come out this year, and your book on grandmothering is going to come out next year. And again, we were going to write a book on grandparenting together, but we just kept realizing that the role of grandfathers and the role of grandmothers and sort of the way we think about it and go about it is very different so that's why we're doing the two books and i'm far along enough that i have a table of contents i'm just going to share it with you not so much because it's about the book but because it's about the things a lot of us are thinking as grandfathers and what are we going to do and and like i mentioned it's called being a proactive father so all of the chapters begin with that word being i'm just going to run through them briefly You kind of stimulate your your own thought process and what kind of a grandfather are you trying to become or if you're a, a parent listening to this think about your father and what kind of a grandfather he is to your children chapter 1 being their champion one who gives confidence and self-worth and an appreciation for who they really are and who they can become. Chapter two, being a team member and a role player, one who understands that parents are the coaches, kids are the stars, but who can step in to play specific roles and to fill certain needs. Chapter three, being the connecting link, one who connects grandkids to their ancestors and shares a family narrative which can build their larger identity and ensure their resilience, something you're going to have a lot of in your book too, Linda, of that family narrative. Chapter four, being their consultant, one who listens and helps them to set and reach their own goals. Chapter five, being an independence giver, one who works out ways for them to earn things and overcome entitlement attitudes Chapter six, being a gatherer, one who brings everyone together for reunions and fun times and loyalty. Seven, being a secret sharer, one who teaches the principles that really matter to grandkids in an exciting way. Chapter eight, being their one-on-one friend, one who connects with them and who makes them feel like they're each your favorite. Chapter nine, being a financial facilitator, one who provides matching funds and loans and equity and helps with college and helps with other things that kids need. And chapter 10, being a world opener, one who awakens kids to their own options and to the great diversity that's in the world. Now, you know, just as I read that, Linda, I realize how ambitious that is. I hope (laughs) grandfathers don't read that and say, well, what am I, a full-time grand? Do I I spend 24 hours a day trying to be a good grandpa? What's the deal here?
0: Yeah, well, that's kind of part of you. You are pretty um, overwhelming sometimes. Proactive, (laughs) proactive. But it is really going to be great. This is going to be a great book, honey, because – a lot of grandparents just haven't thought about it, especially grandfathers. I think grandmothers are always involved with their kids. Grandfathers are wonderful, but not so much because they've been used to making a living and not being involved so much as the grandmothers. And and this is going to be a way to get them really involved and engaged.
1: Well, let's face it, though. In reality, it's a preface to your book on grandmothering because uh, I was talking to the publisher the other day, and he said, do you think, do you really think any grandfathers are going to go out and buy a book on grandfathering? And I said, I had a quick answer ready for him. I said, no, but a lot of grandmas are going to go buy the book to give to their husbands, so they'll become more involved as grandfathers. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's right. In fact, when, I was, when we, all the kids were home, I wrote a book called I Didn't Plan to Be a Witch. But it was kind of hard for the husband to go and buy that and give it to their wives. You don't want to give it So this was perfect for them, to, uh, for these grandmothers, to get those grandfathers involved. Because they can make such a huge difference in the lives of their grandchildren.
1: Well, you know, when you think about it, Linda, the world at large, and we're going to be traveling around it this next month. And, and the world at large has a different definition of family than we do here in the United States and than we do, um, you know, in, in most industrialized Western societies. We think of a family so often here as two generations, a nuclear family, parents living with their children. But most, in most of the world, by far the vast majority of the world, Family always refers to a three-generation household. The grandparents live there. They're in many places, the people who are really in charge of the children while the parents are out working. And we don't want to try to replicate that here, but we do feel like we live in an era when grandparents need to become more involved for the good of the children and for the good of themselves and for the good of the parents.
0: And there's about 80 million of them right now because of the huge baby boomers who are all aging and becoming grandparents. So we just hope that some little thing we've said today has sparked something in your mind. And for those of you who are grandparents, we wish you the very, very best.
1: And we'll see you next time on Irs on the Road. Thanks for being with
0: us. Bye-bye.